And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. The presenting sponsor for today's episode of The Athletic Football Show is Visa, a network working for everyone. Welcome to The Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Today is Thursday, October 7th. Great show for you guys today. Paul Diener Jr., one of our Bengals writers, is going to join us a little bit later for this week's team visit, talking about the surprising start that's going on in Cincinnati. Before we do that, though, I'm very excited to welcome my good friend, Lindsay Jones. Lindsay, how are you doing? I'm great. I am, I'm really excited. This week five slate is pretty awesome. And uh, it's been my favorite kind of week in the NFL is when there's just weird shit going on everywhere. What so. a morning. What a morning. My my timeline was just interspersed. I woke up this morning to the Stefan Gilmore is being released news, which we're going to get to in a second. And then, obviously, all the stuff with Urban Meyer, him just coming out and doing more press conferences, which is an endless stream of nonsense. So it was... One of those jam-packed mornings on the timeline, and we're going to dig into that. Let's start with the Gilmore trade. Happened pretty fast. You know, that's one of those moments where it's obviously floated out there that the Patriots are going to release him, which is kind of a little little bait thrown in the water for every team in the NFL. It's like, all right, wait, wait a second, <laughs> wait a second. We saw this happen with Rodney Hudson in the spring. If you guys can remember, they, it was leaked that the Raiders are going to release him. The Cardinals ended up trading a third-round pick to get him. In this case. It is the Carolina Panthers trading a 2023 sixth round pick to go get Stefan Gilmore, guy two years removed from the Defensive Player of the Year award. Kind of a surprise, but I guess not really. I mean, some of the other teams thrown around were the Packers, the Chiefs, the Bucks, obviously. What was your reaction, Lindsay, when you heard Carolina was the team that went out and made this happen? 
Yeah, I mean, I liked it. I mean, this is a team that's already been aggressive in addressing its secondary. I mean, obviously they traded for CJ Henderson. I believe that was, was that last week? Time is a flat circle, especially, you know, the way that Jaguars news has yeah. been moving recently. Um, but this is a team that clearly knows that it needs to address its secondary. Um, Scott Fitterer has been aggressive in doing so, and it didn't cost them that much. So, you know, I really like it for, you know, a really young, aggressive defense. And look, Stefan Gilmore has some quite he was available for a reason. He was available because he was hurt and unable to play so far for the Patriots right now and because he couldn't come to an agreement on a contract extension. Sounds like he's going to play for the Panthers under his current contract. Um it's not going to be an immediate uh contract extension coming for him. Um but look, guys of Stefan Gil- Gilmore's caliber just don't become available regularly, especially not for a future sixth round draft pick in the first week of October. So I love this move for a Carolina team that, you know, kind of realized last week against Dallas that it had some defensive deficiencies. They have some injury issues, obviously. And, uh, you know, I, I love the message that that is sending that they are willing to go out and do stuff. Now they think that they're ready to compete now and they're going to go out and do it. It doesn't seem like a lot for Stefan Gilmore, but this is also a unique case where by trading him, he had a decent amount of money left on his contract this year. There aren't yeah. a lot of teams with just $6 million in space sitting around at this stage of the season. The Panthers were one of those teams. They had $19 million in cap space, so they were able to go out and make this move. And it's being framed as kind of a win-now thing for Carolina. I don't think it has to be framed that way. I mean, this is a team in 2022 that's 29th in cap spending on defense. You look at the core of players they have on that side of the ball. In 2022... J.C. Horn, C.J. Henderson, Brian Burns, and Jeremy Chin are slated to make $12 million combined. (laughs) Combined. This is a really, really young That's like when Aaron Aaron Donald makes in an afternoon. Yes. Basically. It's a really young core that's not expensive. So now, if you're the Panthers and you say, all right, let's add Gilmore to the mix. Let's sign him to an extension at some point. And now you have a core next year and a secondary next year that includes Horn, Henderson, and... Stephon Gilmore. J.C. Horn had played about half of his snaps in the slot over the Panthers' final two games before he got hurt. There's a chance that they see those guys all fitting together. And the Henderson thing is still a dice roll. I mean, who knows how that's going to end up working out. But for a team that's just trying to add talent that needed cornerback help that I think has a chance to be a pretty good defense this year and was struggling last week without J.C. Horn, I think it makes a lot of sense. So I think they're planning for both now and for the future. And if you have the money and you have the need, I mean, all of it makes sense to me. I think it's a tough break for some of those teams that were really hoping he was going to get released. Because if you're the Packers, you can sign him to $750,000 base salary deal this year, move some of the money to next year. There's way less flexibility in the ways that you can move the money around with him being traded. And that's why a team like Carolina had the advantage. Yeah, I mean, you could see this morning, it was like, I mean, how many people, luckily, I was not one of them (laughs) early this morning, wrote those stories about where should Stefan Gilmore sign and the eight teams that should sign him as a free agent and Carolina swooped in and jumped to the front of the line and signed him. And, And obviously, I think this is a place that Gilmore is going to be happy to go. He is from just outside of Charlotte. I think his Twitter handle is even like Rock Hill Kid. He actually lives right down the street from Scott Fitterer 
which is kind of a funny uh, little thing in this, that they actually already have this pre-existing relationship. And um, one of the reporters, uh, David Newton, who covers the Panthers for ESPN at the end of the press conference this afternoon, asked David Newton if he has any neighbors who are tackles who might be able to help fill in. Because look, if he's just recruiting his neighbors at this point, I mean, so it's a pretty smart, a pretty smart strategy. I would say, though, the one other thing that's important to remember just logistically, um, because this was a trade. Stefan Gilmore is still on the PUP list, physically mm-hmm. unable to perform list. If he had been cut and signed some more as a free agent, he could have potentially played this week. But because it's a trade, same contract, same all of that sort of stuff, he remains on the PUP list, cannot play until after week six. So that's not that far. That's two more games. And the expectation is um, that he is going to be healthy. And the Panthers believe he will be able to play in week seven. I mean, next year they have $30 million in space with a couple moves. If they move on from a couple of those offensive line contracts that they sign, they absolutely can fit Stefan Gilmore at the sticker price under their salary cap if they want to. They have some reasonably big deals. Obviously, you know, Christian McCaffrey had that big extension. Sam Darnold's going to make about $19 million next year, which for a quarterback salary is more than doable. Shaq Thompson's on a sizable extension. They signed Taylor Moten to that deal. But for the most part, this is still a team with a decent amount of financial flexibility. And there are worse places to wield that financial flexibility than a guy like Stephon Gilmore, even at this stage of his career. So I appreciate it. I think that it, for both now and for the future, makes a lot of sense. Let's stay in the Southeast with a, a situation that does not make a lot of sense. We talked about this yesterday with Mitch, uh, just the player perspective on what's happening with Urban Meyer. But you wrote about what's happening with Urban Meyer this week. You've covered the league for a long time. You've been around. I don't want to date you, but you've covered the league for a while. You've been around. You've seen stuff. It's fine. Can I'm you, old. It's fine. Can, can you remember anything like this? Uh, no. I mean, it. There have been other like little scandals. I was texting with somebody about this and let, let lest we get into politics or what anything here, but it does kind of have the feeling of like parts of the Trump presidency where there's just a constant stream of like crazy stuff. What's, that the, is what's the horse out. doing? What's the horse doing? Yeah. And yeah. where any of those little things, any of the one thing that has happened so far to the Jags would be like a major issue, a major story anywhere else in 31 other teams, but they just kind of keep stacking up. So when I wrote earlier this week, I guess I wrote Monday afternoon, um, I kind of just went through and did all the bullet points of like, let's just go back to January and let's recap all of the stuff that has already happened, all of the mistakes, the missteps, the question marks, the unorthodox things, you know, ranging from you know, hiring Chris Doyle, the disgraced strength coach from Iowa, and just thinking he could slip it in to a press release and nobody would notice and he could just hire whoever he wanted. This is a guy who had just been fired from Iowa after credible allegations of racism and bullying. You know, he got calls from people in the league office. The Fritz Pollard Alliance was like, wait, 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 what are you doing? And within a couple of days, Chris Doyle resigned. Like that was a, that was kind of like a, that should have been a bigger story, I think, than it was. But it was the week after the Super Bowl. And, you know, OK, Urban's going to try to do things his way. Maybe he'll learn from this. But it's just well, what do we say about that when it another. happened? We said this was a guy who is so used to operating his little yep. kingdoms. And that's how college football worked for him in, at these stops. And he was not going to be able to do that here. He was not going to be able to just say, you know what? This is my little world. I can rule it how I see fit. Yeah. 
that's not how it works in the NFL for multiple yeah. reasons. And, and now this is another example of that. Yes. There's been a lot to unpack over the last few days from when this video kind of first went viral on Saturday night while we were all watching college football um, from, okay, what was actually happening in this video? Obviously, it's a very bad look for Urban Meyer. This is something that obviously he's going to have to address with his family. But to me, the more troubling part, the biggest issue, and I think the issue that Urban Meyer is now having with his bosses and with the, the Khan family in Jacksonville is that he lied about it. He thinks that we're stupid, that he's that we're all going to see this video, multiple angles of this video, and just say, oh, these are some fans that just were trying to be silly and get me on the dance floor. And we're just supposed to believe that and move on and say, okay, Urban, you're right. You're right. Um, and that's just not how it works. And that's what he came out and said. That's probably what he initially said to Shad Khan. And then it became pretty clear that that wasn't the case. That's what he said to the media and probably wasn't fully truthful with the people around him before he went out and gave that press conference. Because look, with with Urban Meyer, this is a this is what he does. It's not necessarily the initial act. That's the problem. It's the cover-up. It's the lying about it. I mean, that's what happened with the Zach Smith situation at Ohio State. There's a lot of similarities where he basically comes out and says things that are provably untrue and just expects to get away with it. And this is one case where I don't think he's going to get away with it. I don't think guys that play for the Jaguars really care what Urban Meyer did at Ohio State. They, I don't think they really care what Urban Meyer's resume looks like as a college coach. When you have no history of success in the league, when you have no skins on the wall whatsoever, you have to earn that with the guys in that building. What have they possibly done to earn that at this point? I mean, it's what has he possibly done to garner respect with the people in that building? And to go 0-4, to be a team that has looked lost at times, and then to not take the team playing home and to just take the weekend off when you can't win a football game. It, I mean, Mitch talked about it yesterday. He was baffled by it. He, he Everyone in the league is baffled by it. Begin like, to understand how you could operate that way. I mean, this is, I don't know. I'm just curious, like, what the path forward is here. Like, is, is there any other outcome here besides them just moving on and saying, you know what? This didn't work. Like, let's just pull the ripcord. Like, Daryl Bevel can be the coach for the next 12 weeks. It just seems like that might be the best way to handle this. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of legal, complicated stuff that's going on right now. That makes where, sense. Um, very curious to know exactly how the contract is written, if there are ways that the Jags could get out of this without having to pay him. Um, you know, the cons basically hired Urban Meyer on Urban Meyer's terms. You know, Urban Meyer kind of had the leverage in that situation. He knew that the Jags really, really wanted him to be their coach. The Jags, for whatever reason, clearly poor ones at this point in hindsight, you know, really, really wanted him. So I think they were willing to give in to a lot of the things that Urban Meyer wanted structurally, um, salary-wise, power within the organization, those sorts of things. So they have to figure out a way that could we get out. Like, they don't want to just fire him. They would, if they were going to fire him, they would need to fire him for cause. Um, and so at this point, is is he going to resign? Is he going to retire? Is he going to take a medical leave? Is he going to try to stick this out? Will the players stick by him? You know, Mike Silver of NFL Network had a lot of reporting earlier this week about the the tensions going on within the building and players kind of not respecting him at this point. And, you know, that's a big issue. It's the first week of October. 
that's what is just bonkers about <laughs> this whole thing. Four games. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody would have been really surprised if we if you would have said back in March, oh, it's going to be really rough for Urban Meyer and he's going to lose the locker room. You'd have think, okay, you'd have thought, okay, it's going to be, you know, December 5th. It is the first week of October. There are 12 games to go. That is an entire college football season's worth of games He explained it away by saying he needed to go clear his head. They've played games for a month. It, it, just, it just doesn't happen. He looks miserable. The players are miserable. I want to free Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence deserves better. I mean, think of how, like, literally how many coaches would line up right now to coach Trevor Lawrence. All of them, right? Like, Every single offensive coach in America would be like, sign me up. Give me that guy. I want to coach this team. And Urban Meyer looks and is acting like he wants to be anywhere but on the sidelines. So it's going to be messy. I think it's probably going to get get worse before it gets better for the Jaguars, unfortunately, and their fan base. Um, but yeah, give me, a, give me a sideline cam on Urban Meyer this weekend against the, uh, the Tennessee Titans, please. I was watching the Bengals Jags game over again because when we were going to talk to Paul I was like oh I'll go back and watch and, and just see what the Bengals look like last week and I was watching the Jags and I was like man they just don't have any good players <laughs> it's really really hard to win in the NFL when you just don't have any good players and that's partially their fault like they went out and spent a decent amount of money in free agency this year and they still just don't have any good players which is Outside very problematic Lawrence. yes outside of the guy that they that had guy. to pick with the number one overall pick any decision that they had to make outside of that one, they have struggled so far. It, it is just jarring, and they are in a bad, bad way. I feel bad for the people there. All right, last bit of news here, just because we had to talk about this for multiple reasons. Matt Nagy does the correct and just thing and names Justin Fields, the Bears starting quarterback moving forward. A relief. I, this whole thing has been kind of a mess. It doesn't really matter. I, I mean, whatever missteps they've had in the messaging with this, I don't really care. Justin Fields had some really nice moments last week. I'm excited to see what he does. The bigger bit of news, though, is that this week, Justin Fields' parents were in town, and they wanted to go out and celebrate after he had received the news. I loved his reaction, by the way. They're like, how how'd you take the news? He's like, I don't know. It was cool. I'm glad I'm the guy. He is just like right here all the time, which I sincerely appreciate. But his parents were in town. They wanted to go out and celebrate. He told them that he couldn't because he had to watch tape, and instead he hung out with his dog. Lindsay, have you seen Justin Fields' dog? I have, and he's ridiculously cute. His name is Uno, and it looks like he's a French bulldog. Yes, that would be my guess. But he's a little, like, dopier than a French bulldog. Like, his ears are a little bit different, in a good way. He's just, like, some French bulldogs can be, like, very, like, proper looking and, like, statuesque. That one... His tongue is hanging out of his mouth yeah. all the time. I'm a big fan. I'm, I'm going to hatch a plan to have Molly and Uno be friends, I think. Uh, we'll talk about some story ideas offline. I don't want to give them all <laughs> to our listeners here. But yes, there are some uh, dog-related, certainly some dog-related story ideas. I mean, my favorite story I wrote two years ago was when I went to the 49ers during training camp. And I everybody's requesting, like, can I talk to Jimmy Garoppolo? Can I talk to George Kittle? And I said, hey, can I talk to Zoe? The the team therapy dog. And it was like a really, really fun story. And now they have two of them. So um, dogs in the NFL, this is totally um, this is totally my lane. But look, I do we think like did Matt Nagy just like finally check his mentions? Did he struggle along with the rest of us to get the game pass and the coaches film to upload? And he finally actually got to watch <laughs> the all 22 of what happened and said, oh, yeah, this guy actually when 
we we design an offense around him and he's not actually getting bludgeoned to death by a really good Browns defensive line. Uh, actually, this guy's pretty special and I think we should probably move forward with him. This is always going to be the outcome after the way that he played on Sunday. It felt like that's why when he came out and said this week, Nagy, I mean, came out and said this week, yeah, Andy's still the starter when healthy. It's like, why would you say that? Just yeah. don't say that. Just be like, yeah, you know, we're still evaluating all of our options. Like that, that's all you have to say. Just say that and move on. And that's just been the problem is that it doesn't seem like they have an idea of how they've wanted to handle the messaging of this. And that's why it's been so disjointed. None of that matters anymore. He's going to be the starter. If the game plan looks like it did last week and they try to build this offense through downhill running game, play action shots, we're chipping guys, every single aspect that you wanted to see, I can be excited about it. I, this offense with Bill Lazor calling the shots looks better. It has over the last two years when he's been given that opportunity. So hopefully, even against teams that aren't the Lions, at least the structure of it, I'm guessing and hoping it will look similar to what it looked like on Sunday. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a... Mm, real POS. You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. All right, let's move on. Let's get to who has the most at stake in the NFL this weekend, Lindsay, why don't you start us off? All right. So usually here, this is when I like bring the show down and we go on some guy who's been playing terribly. I'm going to flip it. <laughs> I'm going to flip the script this week. Because I'll play I am, that role this week. Don't worry fine, about it. Because I am uh, Miss Sunshine here. But um, I'm going to do Kyler Murray because it, look, he is look, Cardinals number one in our power rankings. Number one, I think, at everybody's power rankings. Kyler Murray, top of the, the odds leaderboards for MVP uh, at you know four games into the season. You can't read too much into MVP favorites, but the spotlight on Kyler Murray is only going to continue to get bigger. Um, the more that they keep winning, they're playing the Niners this week. I, you know, I'm not, sh I'm not sure there's as many like eye popping defensive offensive matchups. I think last week was a lot more interesting when they were playing mm -hmm. the Rams defense, but at this point he's been playing really well. And I know so much of it is still their offense is predicated on just like Kyler making magic happen. 
but I think he's been opening a ton of eyes to what they're doing in the passing game. And his his passing statistics are pretty ridiculous, right? He's second in yards per attempt, first in completion percentage, first in EPA against the Blitz, third in EPA on all dropbacks, and he's third in passing yards. So this isn't like a limited passing game. They're throwing the ball a lot. He's very efficient. He's very dangerous downfield. They're getting a lot of a lot of guys involved. You know, it's not it's not just kind of a DeAndre Hopkins jump ball scenario. So, you know, he's a really good passer. A lot of that is predicated on the fact that he can he can extend plays. He can get out. Uh, he's he's so dangerous throwing on the run. But this isn't like a Kyler Murray just is is running a lot. He's not running a lot. And I think it's going to be really fun to pe- for people to kind of dive in and watch. Watch Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray, excuse me, a lot more closely. He's become one of those guys where I'm just going to have to watch every single Sunday. Like one of the TVs is going to have to be on the Cardinals. Like if I, if for whatever reason, I don't catch a lot of them in an early slate game, it's going to be one of the first things I rewatch. I mean, he is truly one of the most exciting players in the league. I mean, the top three, four most exciting players in the NFL. And I think the passing comments are right on. We talked about this on Sunday night and eight and I, I mean, it's just stuff that, the best quarterbacks do ball placement, touch, accuracy, timing, and combining that with his ability to just break defenses in the most opportune moments. Jordan Roderick tweeted out some numbers about those third and 16 and third and 14 plays he had last week and the win probability changes in those moments. That's what he can do. He can just kind of snap your will defensively in these really important situations while also just playing quarterback at a super high level. I... This is maybe a strange thing to say. There's kind of a cognitive dissonance with me and Kyler Murray just because I'm not used to watching someone who looks like that play quarterback still. Like some of the throws he makes and the way that the ball leaves his hand and some of the plays he makes, it's like, I don't, I can't comprehend this little person doing these things. Yeah. It's incredible to watch, but I still think that's part of it where I'm just like, this just doesn't look right for some reason. And it's still amazing. Like, I'm still getting used to that. It seems like. Well, I've mentioned this on this podcast before last year. Um, A couple of years ago, I wrote a story about Kyler Murray's high school dominance. I tried to make the case that he was the greatest high school player in Texas Mm -hmm. state history. And I watched a ton of his high school tape because he went to Allen High School, which he actually wore his Allen High School letter jacket to the stadium before Sunday's game against the Rams, which I thought was super cool. But I mean, his his records and his his winning percentage and stuff in high school is bonkers. But I watched a ton of his games because he went to this massive school. They were on television a lot, or you can find the full games on YouTube. And he looks exactly the same. I mean, just like <laughs> that that funny high step, the stutter step. Um, and he, but now he is like making Aaron Donald look like these, you know, 16 year old defensive tackles. Um, and it's just really fun to watch. And, you know, his arm is so underrated, you know, because he's small. But he's got a really strong arm. He's got so much touch on his deep ball. Um, the arm strength that, was always there, but it's just the it's the placement. To yeah, me. like the ball he threw to Max Williams in the touchdown. That's where it's like that's a step. Like yeah. that is growth. Yeah, that like is he's him. harnessed a lot of this stuff. One hundred percent. That's a great verb. All right, I'm going to bring it back down here <laughs> because I'm going with the way that we typically frame this segment. I think Ben Roethlisberger has the most at stake this week, and this is why. Ben Roethlisberger is past it. We know that. We know this, right? We all we always knew this. There are guys that reach the end, and they can walk away with grace. Like Philip Rivers, to me, is a perfect example. Philip Rivers gets to the Colts last year. It's his last season. He plays great. Like he's a diminished version of Philip Rivers when he was one of the best three or four quarterbacks in the league. 
but they were a top 10-ish offense. He walks away after a heroic performance in that playoff game. He played so well. They lost, but he played great. And this is a guy that we will remember as somebody playing at that level. That will be our lasting image of Phillip Rivers as an NFL player is what he did for the Colts last year. How bad is it going to get for Ben Roethlisberger? This is somebody who's going to be in the Hall of Fame. This guy who has won two Super Bowls, played at a high level for a long time. What is the lasting memory of Ben Roethlisberger as a player going to be for people? Because if you look at the numbers right now, here are the quarterbacks below Ben Roethlisberger in EPA per play this season. Okay, you ready? Jacoby Brissett, Trevor Lawrence, Davis Mills, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields. That's all. He's playing as bad or worse than the rookie quarterbacks who have been struggling so far. The Steelers are reaching a level of unwatchability with their offense. This is tough. I mean, if you're a guy with his track record, his resume, you know, the pride he probably has and what he's put on the field for the last decade and a half, how bad is this going to get? And I think that to me is what's at stake is him yeah. being able to right the ship even a little bit to the point that it's not just a flaming disaster for the next two months. Yeah, you would hope that checking it down on fourth down is going to be kind of the rock bottom, the low point, but I'm afraid that that's not that that's not going to be it. And you know, the problem that the Steelers are in right now is that they're already kind of trying to protect him with the design of the offense. You know, I think Matt Canada is trying to do the best that he can with an offense and a quarterback that is very clearly limited. But what else can you do? And there's no other quarterback to turn to. Mike Mike Tomlin was asked multiple times this week, would you consider benching Ben Roethlisberger? And he said kind of unequivocally that Ben Roethlisberger was the best quarterback for their offense, which is a damning statement about the state of their quarterback room. <laughs> and the state of their offense. And their offense. So it's like they just don't have any other options. You know, you can even think of like, okay, well, you know, I know I referenced the the 2015 Broncos and the end of the Peyton Manning I was going to ask you about that. A lot. But because Peyton Manning was playing really, really poorly. Really, really, really poorly. And it was almost convenient that he had an injury, that he had a reason mm-hmm. for them to pull him out of the lineup. And um, I, I went back and actually pulled up the, the game story the other night from the, the night that he got benched against Kansas City because it was when he broke the all-time passing records yard a record at that point it was previously held by Brett Favre and and it was the most awkward it was way more awkward than Tom Brady breaking it uh in in New England it was super awkward because he had already thrown four interceptions in that game they were losing 22 to nothing and then he got benched I mean he was getting booed like it was like so it was almost convenient that they said oh he has plantar fasciitis and it was this like okay there's there's a reason it's not just that he's old it's that when he's old and when he can't actually like move at all, like he can't actually plant his left foot. Um, no wonder he can't throw the ball. Um, and, you know, and, and they were a good enough team that they could survive with Brock. Osweiler. They won the Super Bowl. They won. The, yeah. But they were able to kind of just stay on track long enough to kind of, you know, Brock Osweiler kept them on track. But like, this is this is a terrible thing to say, but the Steelers do not have a Brock Osweiler. Like, is Dwayne Haskins going to keep keep this thing kind of a Super Bowl team on the track? No. Is is a Mason Rudolph? No. That's really, really depressing. So I I, I think this thing is going to continue to get worse. Um, and look, we're going to, we're talking to Paul, uh, Paul Daner Jr. from Cincinnati. The Bengals are on the rise. I watched the Ravens in person last week. They were really good. The Browns are really stinking good. I mean, the Steelers are on the, are on the verge right now of being completely irrelevant in their own division. 
and we're only four four weeks into the season. How many conversations did you have with people around the organization during that 2015 season just about how they had to handle the Peyton Manning aspect of that? Because when you were – I mean, obviously Peyton Manning's on a different level than Ben Roethlisberger. Peyton Manning is one of the three or four greatest quarterbacks of all time. But when you're a Hall of Fame-level player and you reach the end like that, what are, how do you handle that as an organization? Yeah, it was such an, the dynamics of that were really interesting. And Gary Kubiak should have won coach of the year that year. He did not. And I cannot remember exactly. I don't remember exactly who won in 2015, but it should have been Gary Kubiak. For Ron the Rivera, way that maybe. He, uh, that would make, that would have made sense. Um, but for the way that he managed that entire situation, um, a lot of it was really instructive for probably the way that other coaches could handle questionable, you know, guys who were dealing with injuries. Um, basically he was, Gary Kubiak was very upfront about kind of Peyton Manning's struggles. He addressed it internally with the team every week and said, Brock is still going to be our starter this week. He would come out Monday morning and he'd say, Brock Osweiler is still our starting quarterback. And, you know, Peyton will get there when he gets there. Um, but yeah, the, the weeks leading into that Kansas City game were interesting. They played the the Colts the week before. Peyton really didn't play well. And you could just tell that, like, he wasn't right. But they also were winning. I mean, they were winning yeah. most of those That's games. That's the difference, they, right? You could argue there's so many ways you could spin it if you're winning games. Yeah, and they had, I mean, the, the personalities in that locker room. I mean, maybe some similarities to the to the Steelers with, you know, Joe Hayden and Minka Fitzpatrick and Cam Hayward, where there are some really big TJ Watt, you know, some really good outspoken star defensive players. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were, Gary Kubiak was just masterful in the way that he managed that locker room. He didn't try to kind of hush guys up. He let guys speak for themselves. And he was just really honest with like, this is where Peyton's at and we're not going to look too far ahead about it. We're not going to, we're not going to, you know, rush him along. We're going to let him kind of handle his stuff. It was interesting the way that he ended up coming back. He ended up pulling Brock Osweiler from a game after multiple turnovers, several of which were not Brock Osweiler's fault. I mean, basically he got the hook after, I believe, C.J. Anderson fumbled. I mean, that was clearly not the quarterback's fault. Um, and then, you know, Peyton Manning goes on this kind of magical run through this, you know, through the postseason where he wasn't great, but he was good enough. And you could see how his brain was good enough to carry them. And did he did just enough offensively during that run. And I just am not sure if Ben even has that that much in him right now. If he's just his ability and his experience to kind of manage the offense – I'm just not sure if 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 he has that in him at this point. Well, you you can't just be a good defense in order to sustain when your quarterback is playing at that level. You yeah. need to be a transcendent defense, and that's what that 2015 defense was. I mean, it's and one they of the were best defenses lucky the last as hell too. I mean, they were really good and they were really lucky. They won some games in crazy ways, last you know, crazy turnovers. Um, you know, there were some ridiculous ways that they won that game. And sometimes when you're a really good defense, you kind of create your own luck, right? That you believe yes. that you are going to be able to make those. And that is get a room for those guys, right? Those guys yeah. that year, it's just like there is a certain like mystical element to those dudes together. Like they they are absolutely when you when you put Akeem Tlaib, Chris Harris, Von Miller, all of those guys in that room together. DeMarcus Malik Ware. Jackson, yeah. DeMarcus Ware. Oh, that is a, you know what? Fuck it. We'll do it ourselves. Like that is the type of group that is absolutely going to come to that conclusion. That's hard to find. It, that is very, very difficult to pull off. Yeah. I mean, and you know, the Steelers have a little bit of that in them. And I know they're adamant, Minka Fitzpatrick and Joe Hayden, that they were not offsides on that blocked field goal that should have been a touchdown. And that's kind of that type of juice play that really good, really special defenses and defensive players can make, but they didn't get that break. It didn't go their way. And I don't know 
I don't think the Steelers offense would have had it in them to ultimately hang with the Packers for an entire game, even if had that play gone their way. But those are the type of breaks that you need when your quarterback is struggling and the Steelers didn't get it. All right. Let's get to our appointment viewing for this week. Somebody, a team, a matchup that we cannot wait to watch. What do you got for me? All right. So there's a lot of really fun games this week, but the game that I'm most excited about is the Chargers versus the Browns. Oh like, boy. This is Robert Mays Bowl. This is the Robert Mays <laughs> Bowl, right? I mean, this is this is really, really fun. Um, and I know you guys are gonna get in into on the Friday show with Nate a ton of the, the actual matchups and like the really nitty gritty schematic stuff that's going to be going on because, but there's just so much fun stuff in this game. You know, it's the Browns front seven against the Chargers offensive line. Rayshon Slater looks like an all pro already. Like he's this year's Tristan Wirfs where there's just a rookie offensive tackle who you're like, yep, that's a dude. He had play. a rep last week that Duke Manyweather tweeted out where he had to anchor down so low to get back in position against the bull rush. It was just, I, I can't remember seeing anything like it from an offensive lineman that looks like him. He's not a monster. No. And the strength to do that, he is so good. I cannot wait to watch that guy for the next 15 years of his career. So, so really just like some fun upfront matchups. Yeah. I mean, I don't know exactly how they're going to line up every time. If he's going to have a lot of one-on-one reps against Miles Garrett, if he's going to be having more with Clowney or if he's going to, you know, exactly how that all is going to work, but really excited to watch, um, you know, some of those individual matchups. And then just when we talk about, I mean, we love to talk about coaches here, right? And coaching styles and, um, the impact that individual coaches can have on their teams. And, I don't know if there's any two guys that we've talked about more than Kevin Stefanski and Brandon Staley, uh, because these are kind of like two of the bright young coaching stars who have come in and transformed their organizations really, really quickly. And their imprint is all over their two respective teams. So this is just, it's just such a fun game. It's going to be like, you know, I got the star power, the coach. I, I'm just really excited. So that entire game. So I'm kind of cheating here and just just give me that that game in the afternoon time slot. And I'm going to put it on one of my TVs and not even flip around to other stuff. We're going to dig into the Browns defense intensely tomorrow. It's something we have not talked about. They the show are at all. good. I have not watched it enough to like have any detailed thoughts about it. I cannot <laughs> Just wait. because you've blocked out him, <laughs> them sacking Justin Fields like well, that's It was times. so hard to understand what was real and what wasn't. But them doing what they did to Minnesota last week, yeah. I'm really excited to dig into that. You mentioning the coaches, I think, is so on point. I think these are the two most modern coaches in the NFL. And, and I'll say, here, here's why I say that. You can be analytics-driven as much as you want as a franchise. The Browns were under Sashi Brown, right? When you break it through to the coaching staff, that's when it changes. When the coaching staff is fully bought into these ideas and they shape their decision-making around those ideas, that's when the real titanic shift happens in the league. Kevin Stefanski is bought in. It is about more, his fourth down decisions are clear, right? Like he, he's going for it every single time. It's beyond that. The way that they've shaped this offense, the way that they shape their game plans, the way that they think about how much play action do we need to use? How much do we need to run the ball? How much do we need to throw the ball? How many explosives do we need? They're trying to game this thing. It has seeped into the way they make coaching decisions. And I think that's really, really important. And the same thing is true for the Chargers. Like Brandon Staley is somebody that is 100% bought into these ideas. 
You can hear it in the way he talks and the way he discussed. This is why him saying you don't need to run the ball to use play action is like the greatest thing the football nerds have ever heard in their entire Twitter, lives. Football, football nerd Twitter lost their collective shit when uh, and that it was, clip went live. <laughs> it was funny because when he said and he later on, he said, and when you use when you run the ball and why it's important for the quarterback is it creates space for the quarterback. What he means when he says that, and he said this to me, it's not about it's space in the pocket. You're giving your guy space to operate because the what he said was when you run the ball, defensive players, they need to play blocks. So when you use play action, you're forcing defensive players to stop their feet and play the run. So it gives your quarterback literally more space in the pocket to operate. It's why he wanted some of the boot keeper game to be an element of what they did. They brought Shane Day over to be their quarterback's coach and their passing game coordinator when he was in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan. He has thought about every single aspect of this. There is not a piece of the way this team is constructed about what their offense looks like, about the decisions that they make, that he has not thought about. Kevin Stefanski is the exact same way. These guys are 38 years old, 39 years old. They have come to maturation as coaches in the internet analytics era. They they have come to light in like the football outsiders world. They don't they have not known a world where that type of discourse about the sport hasn't existed and that is why they're just a little bit different than some of these other guys. Even Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, like I think McVay buys into some of that stuff, but I think that it's a little bit different with these two guys and I really do think that you're seeing that on display. And I want to say one other thing about the Brandon Staley um, clip that kind of went viral, viral for good reasons, good viral video. Um, It just, when you watch it, it makes sense of why he is such a good coach Um, because he was able to break down this really kind of complicated discussion that people mess up on the internet all the time and explain it really, really cleanly. He is so respected because of how, how he is as a teacher. And so you could just picture exactly what he's like in a meeting room um, with his guys when he's explaining these concepts. And it was also just really refreshing to hear him kind of be honest and explain something to it was to a group of reporters, but then more broadly to kind of the football watching public instead of talking down. He wasn't being condescending about it. He wasn't talking down to anybody. He was just explaining some, you know, pretty complicated football stuff that is really misunderstood in a really easily digestible way. And I just really, as a reporter, I really appreciate that. But I, you know, I think just as somebody who loves football and wants to constantly learn more about football, I just loved that sort of honesty. And God, he's he's just refreshing. And just like Kevin Stefanski is refreshing. And if this is a copycat league, I hope that, you know, owners are watching what's happened this week. They're seeing the mistakes that are made by hiring a guy like Urban Meyer and the successes when you hire guys like Kevin Stefanski and Brandon Staley. He's an excellent communicator. And, you know, he, in the conversations that I've had with him, I've always appreciated that about him is that he, he communicates those ideas well. He is a steadfast believer in the benefits of growing knowledge of the game. He has said that to me on multiple occasions. It's why he is as open as he is. And it's why he has no qualms about having that type of discussion and explaining those sorts of things to people that are asking questions they genuinely want to know the answers to. All right. My appointment viewing this week, Justin Fields is part of it. But (laughs) I can't wait to see what Trey Lance looks like. But now I'm a little bit worried. Did you see that Garoppolo had his press conferences today? Yeah. And And he said he's going to try to play through it. I... 
I have no interest in that. Like I, I <laughs> wish the best for Jimmy Garoppolo. I want to see what this offense looks like with Trey Lance. So we've watched Jimmy Garoppolo play through things in the past. I've 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 seen it. You know, it's Jimmy got his money. You know, I am I'm all set for the Trey Lance era. I hope that he plays just because I want to see what it looks like. And that is my point of viewing. With the caveat, if Trey Lance plays, I am excited to see what this offense looks like with Trey Lance because that was the question, right? What are the what does the run game look like when it expands and they have him as a runner? What does that version of this team look like? We've had so many conversations over the last year or so about needing a guy at that position. And I think it's become starker than ever that you need one of the guys because of how right that guy can make you. It is so difficult to have to point your quarterback in the right spots all of the time. To me, I think it's a little bit of a Mahomes effect. I think that if Patrick Mahomes didn't exist, I don't know if the Rams are as quick to go get Matthew Stafford and the Niners are as quick to go trade up for Trey Lance. But I think we've reached a point in the football world where people understand if you don't have one of the people at the table, it's going to be hard to compete with the Chiefs and teams like that with Josh Allen and guys of that talent level. And that's why I want to see what the version of the Niners looks like with a guy who has that physical profile, that level as a prospect dropped into this situation. It's not going to be great right away. We know that. He struggled last week when he was dropped in there. I think that's going to happen. I think he's going to have his growing pains in the same way that a lot of young quarterbacks do. But I do want to see what the early stages of that looks like because this is it. This is the Niners bet. You know, we answered several questions in the mailbag this week about is Kyle Shannon overrated? Is it, are we overstating how good of a coach he really is? It's I think Steven Ruiz said he should just be an offensive coordinator. Yes, he did. Did I hear that right? Okay. Yes. The rumbles are starting. And this is the bet that the Niners made. They bet big on this guy and what they could do, he could do for their offense. And I'm excited to see what it looks like. It's not going to be great right away, but I'm excited to see what the stages of it look like and where we go from here. Yeah, it'll be really fun to watch. And the fact that Kyler Murray is also going to be in that same game, sign me up. Throw him in the mix. You need <laughs> one of those guys. You need yeah. one of those guys that can break defenses even when they do everything right. And that is why the Niners went and got a guy like Trey Lance. And now we get to see it. All right. Every week, we like to ask one big question we have heading into the weekend. What is the one thing that you need answered in week five? Okay. So I'm going to take Urban Meyer out of the equation because like what sort of shit is Urban Meyer going to get into this weekend? That's one big question. But um, I want to know how good the Cowboys are. And I'm not sure if playing the Giants is the ultimate barometer on that. But the Cowboys are now officially on the like top of, you know, one of those top two or three teams on my radar where I'm like, ooh, I want to watch every single snap that's going on. And it's not just that I want to watch what's going on with their offense because their offense has been really, really, really fun to watch because they're winning so many different ways. I'm not going to step on Nate Tice's turf because I know this is this is his thing. Dak is his guy. This is his thing. But the Cowboys defense, I had the lowest of low expectations. And now I'm starting to think that that Cowboys defense might be like legitimately good. Um, their rookies might be legitimately good. Like they have multiple defensive rookie of the year candidates. Uh, Trayvon Diggs has been ridiculously awesome. So I don't necessarily think if they beat the Giants, it's going to be this massive statement of how good they are. But I think it's a chance for them to establish their dominance in the NFC East and just 
kind of keep ascending in this wide open. I think the NFC is wide open. And I think if they keep stacking these sort of defensive performances, they're going to be one of these teams that we're talking about in the same conversation with the Rams and the Bucks and the Cardinals as the most complete and best teams in the NFC and an actual Super Bowl contender. I think they're there. I, I, I really do. I think that their offense is good enough for them to be there. That's the biggest question to me. Can they be a top five offense and can their defense just make enough plays? And I think we've seen that. Yeah. I, I think outside of injury, or you know, they lose Tyron Smith and you know, they get dinged up in some of the ways they have in the last couple of years. If that doesn't happen, I I think they're on that track. I really do. I, I'm fully bought into what they look like offensively. And now we just want to see if defensively they're there as well. Yeah, they just, and I think they're just making plays, splash yeah. plays. I mean, that's what they've done on defense, and I think that's what they need to continue to do. Their plan on defense where we've talked about this, spin the wheel, baby. You have that Rolodex defense, and that's literally what they call it. When you you know, you know pick a play out, pick a call out of a hat, and it's really, really hard to game plan for. It's high variance. You're just trying to make a splash play here and there. That's what they're going with, and it's working for them so far. My question, how good is the Bills defense really? I mean, obviously, they're number one by a lot in most categories. Their EPA is twice as good as every other defense in the NFL right now. They've played a slew of terrible offenses. Like, <laughs> truly Beating the Texans 40 offenses. to nothing is uh, <laughs> truly not terrible offense. I, I ran through that list of quarterbacks, of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL so far. That's who the Bills have played. Yeah. <laughs> They've played Ben Roethlisberger, Jacoby Percet, Davis Mills. That's what we've seen from them. So. What do they look like against the Chiefs? I don't think you need to shut the Chiefs down to prove that you're a good defense, but is this truly a top three, top five defense? Because last year, it wasn't. You know, even at the end of the year when they were playing better on that side of the ball, they still had pieces that they needed. And I think that explains what their offseason plan was. Now, Brandon Bean looked at his front coming into the year and said, we're not good enough. They went out and got Greg Rousseau. They went out and got Basham. They've had some ascent from a couple other pieces up front. They have one of the best pressure rates in the NFL. They're really forcing the issue on defense. And it's allowed their offense to kind of find its footing after a pretty uneven start. And that's what contenders are made of. Can you be this complete team where other aspects of your roster lift up elements that aren't playing up to their potential? That's what a really, really dominant team looks like. And because that's going to change over the course of the season, the offense is probably going to be better. And, and that's why it's exciting because if they can play complementary football on both sides of the ball and they have this level of talent top to bottom, that's when they get scary. That's when we can start talking about them as the best team in the AFC, you know, a real, real contender that can make this thing happen. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the other kind of big question. I knew you were going to hit on this game, so I didn't want to move too much into your territory but this is an awesome Sunday night game I know last yeah. week's Sunday night game was it was one it was a really fun and entertaining game but it was like a big deal because of like the emotions this Sunday night game Bill's Chiefs is a big deal for like the actual uh what we know and how we view the league and how we view kind of a snapshot of not just the AFC but the entire the entire NFL and uh, Chiefs defense I know that I know you're spotlighting the Bills defense right now, but it's gonna be a tough, tough night for the Chiefs defense. Uh, I'm not sure how well it's gonna go for them. Uh, you hope it's that. a tough night for the Chiefs defense if you're the Bills, because that's a sign yeah. that your offense is you know starting to put it together. All right, 
Lindsay, we always like to end our segment together on this. It's a little bit easier this week, but we're still going to do it. <laughs> Sell me on Thursday night football this week. All right. So this is this is an easy one. Yeah, right? th- I, this is way too easy. I would... Yeah, this is it's Rams Seahawks. So these are actual good teams and the Rams are going to be <laughs> pissed off. And not only are these two good teams, but these are two good teams that legitimately hate each other. They are they do not like each other. There was a whole lot of stuff that went on online last January, carried over into the offseason a little bit where they were all talking shit to each other about going on vacation to Cabo and sending each other home. And it was Jalen Ramsey and Jamal Adams. And um, so, look, they hate each other, which is which is really, really fun. That's always that's that always makes for a good time. Big stars, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Cooper Cups, Matt Stafford, Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, Jamal Adams. Uh you know, some fun X's and O's stuff. Shane Waldron coaching against his mentor, Sean McVay. Uh, stuff, yeah, really fun stuff. It's not a hard sell. Watch, yeah, watch I'm going to watch this. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to watch this one. This one's not hard. I watch it all the time. Here, Here's what we should do. Sell me on Falcons Jets at 8.30 in the morning on Sunday. That's the real challenge. Ooh, why are we doing this to London? Like, why? Do we, is this, is this like, do we hate like, them? We're setting back like British American relations years by doing this to the British NFL fans consistently. It's really rough. That's a tough game. And well, and then the next week is Dolphins Jags. Oh my god! So we really, really hate them. What time <laughs> is that? Is the Sunday game for you? There's no way you're watching. Seven thirty. Seven thirty a.m. You're up. You Which is play. actually, I mean, I'll be up. Yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah. I I get up to run and I have a small child, so I, I'll be up. Um, I probably will not be uh, glued to my television. That's one I'll probably watch on the condensed game once it's up on Game Pass a couple days later. I uh, I probably will watch it because I have a sickness and I have to watch every NFL game when it's on, no matter what. Uh, I'm going to support one of my friends running the Chicago Marathon because I forgot this game was on. So I will watch her run past me and then I will go turn this on. At like it's it'll be it'll, it'll be streaming. You can watch it on your phone. Yeah, there you go. So I will watch it. There's probably no good reason to watch it. I'm not sure we can sell you guys on that game, but we know you're going to watch it. Look, we Zach know Wilson played. Sickos. Zach Wilson played pretty well last week. It's really fun to watch. Like the British crowd lose their mind whenever there's a good kicking play. So they're probably going to love Koo from the Falcons. Like that'll be really fun to watch Koo be the favorite player on the field. Um, My selling point is that it's funny and gimmicky to have football on in the morning. Like for people who aren't used to it, having football on in the morning, like watching it over breakfast can be a little bit of a different experience. A couple years ago, I was in LA for, I was covering a game in LA and that game was on at 6.30, which is really wild. I lived in LA during my mid twenties. I did not appreciate football games being on at 10 in the morning or eight in the morning or whatever time they were on in the morning. It's a little easier now that I'm old and washed and live in central time, but all right, that's all we got. Lindsay, always appreciate it. Let's get to our conversation with Paul Diener about the surging Cincinnati Bengals. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, it's time now for our weekly team visit. Couldn't go any other way this week. The three and one Cincinnati <laughs> Bengals are the subject of our conversation. We welcome the one and only Paul Diener Jr. Paul, how you doing, man? What's up, Robert? How are we doing? I am doing great and not as well as the people in Cincinnati, apparently, who have They're very excited. Re- reminded me. <laughs> Early and often about how wrong I was about the Bengals coming into the year, as if I said they were going to be like a three-win team, which I absolutely right. did not. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. They are three and one, and they are right in the mix in the AFC. First thing I wanted to ask you, your expectations for this team coming into the year and what they've been over the first month or so, where's the biggest gap? What is the biggest surprise to you about what this team has looked like on the field compared to what some of us might have thought heading into the year? They have a good defense. <laughs> I don't think anybody saw that coming. I mean, I don't I don't think that we saw them being I mean, you look at their DVOAs, their top 10, their top 5, you know, and they have been now there's been a bit of schedule magic there. I mean, when you look at who they've played, I mean, they sure. they caught the Bears in that game uh where they had Justin Fields coming in and and they, you know, Minnesota has a good offense, but Pittsburgh's obviously been a mess. Uh, Jacksonville up and down that Thursday night. You you can make some excuses there, but really they've looked like a good defense. I mean, they have been extremely sticky in coverage. They've ha- played with a chip on their shoulder. Logan Wilson has three picks in the fir- had three picks in the first three games and looks like the sort of second year leap linebacker that you see that comes to the forefront of the league. And a defensive line that is night and day different than last year, mostly because literally every player wasn't on the field last year for them. I mean, whether because of injury or because of the guys they went out and acquired. I mean, DJ Reader has been making every dime of the $14 million per year contract they gave him two years ago. Larry Ogunjobi has been great. Trey Hendrickson has made good on his $15 million. I mean, they have been really aggressive as in pass rush and good in stopping the run. That was not what we thought this team was going to be. This was the team that was supposed to be, how far can Joe Burrow take them and and carry this defense on its back? And it's really been the opposite for the most part. And that, to me, is the biggest gap and where the biggest you know differential where you think the ceiling might be for this team that maybe it's higher because you didn't think they'd have a defense that could even go out there and win you some games. And my concern with the defense heading into the year is that they lack star power. How, who are the true difference makers on this team was my central question about the defense coming into the season. And when you're spending as much on defense as that team is, there was a gap there to me. There was a disconnect there. But watching them over the first month, and I totally agree with you on the schedule. I mean, three of their games have been against teams, I think, that ranked 25th, 27th, and 28th in offensive DVOA, which certainly helps. The schedule early in the season when we don't have solid opponent adjustments, especially even for DVOA, it can be a little bit of mirage, which we can get to later, but I do think that's worth taking into account. But my concern was, who are the difference makers? But you look at it, this defense right now is more than the sum of the parts. And I think that is the most important aspect of this, is that you have guys really playing well collectively. Chidobi Awuzie, 
you know, Logan Wilson, it just every single guy playing about where you'd want him to, but playing as a cohesive unit. And that to me is the most encouraging part of that entire thing. Even if no one superstar stood out while Logan Wilson, I think is definitely taking a jump. They are collectively playing together at a level that we might not have anticipated. I mean, we had DJ reader on the other day and we're talking to him and, uh, you know, he was saying there's such a hunger amongst the group because it's sure. like they yeah. are feeding off that narrative that we have no stars here. And there's and they're all about the same age. They constructed this defense all in the same way. Twenty four to twenty six year old guys who have a lot of talent but are trying to prove themselves. Some hit the jackpot. Some of them have gotten contracts. Some of them are playing for them. Some of them have never really kind of felt like they've been the centerpiece of maybe some good defenses, your Von Bells of the world. Uh, you know, you mentioned Cheeto. I mean, those guys really are feeding off that narrative. And I asked DJ Reader, I said, well, what's the difference? You played next to maybe one of the biggest superstars in the world in Houston, in J.J. Watt. What is the difference? He said, well, the difference is there is none as long as your superstar is like that because they they set the tone. But when you have all of this, everyone feeds into that. And, and that's why they've played with this sort of real tenacity and chip on their shoulder and relentlessness that is really a cornerstone of all great defenses. It's just you don't know necessarily uh, a lot of the guys that are doing it. It's so funny because that was my concern coming in is that they have a lot of number twos and number threes and they've spun <laughs> that into a positive. <laughs> they've yeah. used that as a source. All right, we're going to rally around each other as those twos and threes. And you can see that. You can feel the energy that they're playing with. All right. So let's get into their actual star power. That's yeah. on the other side of the <laughs> All ball. All on the other side of the and, ball. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> so how would you evaluate Joe Burrow through four games? Kind of give us a give us a heat check on him. Uh you know, the arrow going directly up at this point. I mean, look, he's he's played. If you look at his, you know, if you're talking about the second year jump that you look for in quarterbacks, first of all, he's not even played 16 games yet. Uh, and you see just in this four-game period what he has been compared to what he was last year is the jump from a guy who in almost every major metric you care about that matters towards winning being in the 20s versus almost every major metric you care about towards winning in the top 10 top 12 and you see that on the field now here's the other here's the scary part about that for the league he has been absolutely had the restraints on him for half of those games really three of them I mean the first three they came into this season and they said we don't really know what this line's going to be and we don't really know how his knee's going to be let's lean heavy on Joe Mixon and they were the most run heavy team in the league through the first couple of weeks and they played like it and but they was working for them like they were this defense was playing well they could use it let Burrow beat you in spots but kind of see where everyone was at there was a play in Pittsburgh that we're going to look back on at the end of this season, and if Joe Burrow takes a step, he looks like he can take as the turning point. It was a third down, and the Steelers went with no linebackers in the box, and Joe was an empty, and he knew the call. The call wasn't audible for a QB draw for him. He knew that was the play he had to make. He made it. He runs, he shakes a guy, he dives forward to get the first down it to get into a goal-to-go situation, stands up, drops the ball with confidence like Joe Mixon does after every first down and points forward. And he said to us after the game, I didn't know if I'd be able to do that at all this year. And when he did it, you could tell the switch flipped in his head. Um, that guy again. And he and you saw it on Thursday night against Jacksonville. Yeah. He looked like it. He looked confident in the pocket. He was not afraid to be mobile. He was not afraid to stand in and take a hit on cover zero with the game on the line. He did all of those things. He wasn't really that guy for the first couple of weeks and admitted that to us, that he was still trying to figure that out. But you could tell that play in Pittsburgh 
it changed for him. And he knew that he's back and he's ready to be that guy. It's interesting that you mentioned the run-heavy stuff because I was going to ask you about that later. The fact that they were a top-five team in situation-neutral pass rate last year and they were a bottom-five team over the first couple weeks I think was very telling, but makes sense, right? You're trying to protect your guy a little bit. I also think they believed coming into this season that they needed their downhill running game to be a bigger part of what they did in order to create shots. If they were going to get explosive plays down the field, they needed to be able to run the ball not necessarily more often, but more efficiently and tie their run game and their pass game together because that was one of the things that they were really missing last year. So it's interesting that you mentioned that. I wanted to stick with Burrow, though. And we've talked about this before, Paul, but I think that Frank Pollock's comments today about Joe Montana were just another example. (laughs) And I wanted to just ask you, you mentioned again, just the, the confidence, the way he approaches things. How does that tangibly affect this team and this franchise, just his overall demeanor? Because we can talk about it in an abstract way, but I'm curious where you actually actually see it show up in ways that you can appreciably understand. You know what this league is. Every week looks the same. It's two teams with a lot of talent, and it comes down to a play or two at the end and who makes the winning drive. Usually the ones that make those drives are the ones that believe they can. This franchise, forever, has never been the one that believes they can ever. <laughs> I mean, even when they had, even when they when they had great teams, it, and they had Andy Dalton, and there was like there was always that thing in the back of people's head, like, can he do this? And well, maybe hopefully AJ Green can do this, right? I mean, that was those teams. And you go back to Car, you got to go all the way back to Carson Palmer in his heyday here in two thousand and five to find a team that had the confidence that would play with that knowledge of we're obviously going to go win now. They have that. When they have Joe Burrow and you have him with that attitude, when they take the field against Jacksonville with 533 left and the game tied, not only do they know that they're going to go down and win, they know they're going to do it the perfect way and waste all the time down in the process of doing it because that's just how this guy operates and that's how they believe he's going to operate. To instill belief, real like confidence, in a group of players who have no reason to have it wearing this jersey is the absolute game changer here. And that's why he was always the perfect guy for this franchise because they needed somebody that you could really rally around and truly believe in when it, when it came down to it at the end of a game. They have that now. So what's next for him? What is the next step that you need to see out of his game? Um, Are there certain throws, certain situations? um, Or is it just going in and winning a game against Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, I think it's I think it's the big time opponent win. I mean, we never I mean, he was two seven and one last year, even though he played well, he had high volume numbers, but his efficiency lacked that has changed over. But we haven't you know, we haven't seen him in the real big time game and up against another real big time quarterback and gone and won anything like that yet. I mean, it, and that's the, the it'll always be this way. But the next step for him, whatever the next deal is, is always going to be the next step for this team because they're growing with him. Um, and so he. You know, that is this team's next step. That is Jeff, Joe Burrow's next step is going to be Green Bay and their back half of their schedules filled with games. Chargers, Chiefs, I mean, they're really backloaded with a lot of quality games in the back half of their schedule that they're going to have a chance to go win and including a brutal run through the division when they've got the Browns and Ravens twice still. So that's the next step. And in and, and, and being, okay, this is a nice, fun story on this 8-9 and nine team or whatever versus – Get Joe Burrow to the postseason and see what happens. You know, I mean, that's that's the step right now. 
It's funny that you say that because that's kind of what I envisioned for them this year. Right, and I think that's right fair. around right around five hundred. And you know, if you take a step forward in the right ways, maybe we can kind of build up some more confidence and belief in this regime. And you know, if they're headed in the right direction, Zach Taylor gets another shot. Because I thought this was a big year for that coaching staff. Because when you've made the additions you did on defense, you spent the money, you have Burrow going into year two. I thought it was important for them to show tangible growth, because at a certain point that you need to see it, and it does feel like that has happened. Where would you say you've seen growth in the staff? Because I had my concerns about them heading into this year. And so far, I think that the marks have been pretty good through four games. The growth in the staff has been, you know, what they hoped it would be. I mean, the main growth has been wins. They just have, they haven't won. I mean, Mike Brown in the, at the kickoff media luncheon said, you got to win. Like yeah. he was not, it was blunt. It was, look, we, I like Zach. It was, you know, his message was, I like Zach. I think he's a smart guy. I believe in everything that we've been talking about here. I do, but it's been two years. You got to go win. Like, I mean, he said it clear as day. And and so that was really what this year was always going to be about. They've liked a lot of the direction. They've liked a lot of the things the staff has done and said and built steps towards. But it had to be wins this year. And I think the fact that it has, even through four games and even questioning the opponents, has been a huge deal, certainly for the staff. The growth, though, has been the ability to create the type of chemistry that snowballs. They ha- they really do have. like These guys really genuinely love football. They love playing it. They love talking about it. They like each other. And, and that's not – it's not just – talk like we get that talk all the time and you can see right through it it really is you've done this for long enough you watch them on the sidelines after anybody makes a play watch them the way they respond in the locker room when somebody gets a game ball and everyone's genuinely happy for that person and like it's real reactions and that comes from winning but it comes from that atmosphere of building and what they did this offseason was what they should have done at the very beginning clear house it's a new staff all the old components, nothing wrong with them, what they were before. A.J. Green, Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, Giovanni Bernard, all these players, fine, great, very much you know, recent legends in Bengals history, had to be gone because the new leaders, the new leadership they were trying to institute was based around the decks being cleared for them to be leaders, but they felt they were walking into somebody else's house. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, I can't lead from when this guy's in the room and when they cleared the decks – it really set this really great vibe, so to speak, amongst this entire team. And, and, you, and it's basically a team that follows number nine's lead. So a couple of weeks ago, probably when the schedule came out, I don't think any of us were like circling Bengals Packers as like a game of the week. But suddenly this is a really interesting game. So I'd love to one hear what's Cincinnati reacting like how is the city reacting to kind of this massive game um, will that stadium be full um, what do you think the atmosphere is going to be like and then two if you could just maybe take us through a couple of maybe the the most important matchups especially defensively how you think um, this Bengals defense is going to match up with that uh, with that Packers offense. I don't know if it will be sold out. I mean, I look they they uh, really pushed all their chips to the table this offseason to try to reconnect with the fans who have not. I mean, to the 2019 stadiums in here, I mean, it was like 20,000, 25,000 butts in the seats in a 65,000 seat stadium. I mean, that's how disconnected they were. They did they started a ring of honor. They did new uniforms. I mean, they they 
put this whole onslaught, their new game day presentation, they, everything that they could possibly do to try to get fans in that wasn't win games, they did. And, and, and then they had, they had a winning at Pittsburgh. And so they had their moment. They had a, they had a primetime game. Here's Anthony Munoz and Ken Anderson and Ken Riley's son. We're going to induct these guys in the ring of honor. We're in our new uniforms. We're on primetime television. And then they had a full house. And then they laid the hairiest egg in the first half you've ever seen. And the place was booing them. And said, this is, this is it. They, they created one moment for themselves to reconnect with the fan base. They put it all into one, one spot. And it looked like they were going to blow it. And then it ended up the opposite because Joe Burrow took over. It really invigorated the fans like big time. I mean, really made everyone believe. They kind of felt like they had a special moment of a reason to believe in this team. For that reason, I think the crowd will be really into it. I think it will be a pretty live atmosphere. I don't know how sold out it will be. But, I mean, there really is a, a momentum in kind of rejuvenating a fan base that kind of turned their back on them a long time ago. Um, and I think that's good. And defensively, I mean – Look, I think it's going to be the same thing. reason we've talked about their defense has been better. They, they have to get after Aaron. I mean, they, they, ha- they have to get in his face, and it has to come from up the middle like it has. Larry Ogunjobi, DJ Reader, BJ Hill, these guys they've been you know sort of rotating in there have to push the pocket up in Roger's face and, and force him to you know, do those other things. I wanted to ask you, because when you guys have such an in- inherent kind of intimate knowledge of these fan franchises, and I think the Bengals are so, such an interesting case because they're an outlier in so many ways. In this world, in the world of NFL teams, you laugh. I mean, we. I call them thirty-one to one because every owner's vote, every owner's meetings vote you've ever seen that goes thirty-one to one. I go, well, I guess I got to go talk to Mike. You know, you just you know what it is, right? I mean, it's it's, they are in their own world, and in a lot of a lot of the time, most often that's spun as a negative. The purse strings have been very tight. The facilities aren't to the degree we talked about this when I was at training camp. They don't have a facility. They don't have an indoor practice facility. Sure don't. It it's crazy and. I'm wondering, does it feel after the last couple free agent classes with Joe Burrow there now, do you think the tide is turning a little bit? Do you think that there is kind of a newer modern era coming to this franchise? Do you think that's on the horizon or is that taking this a little bit too far? Uh, I Yes. I mean, I think there is a catching up that's happening you maybe maybe possibly getting into the below average you know like maybe maybe not being right at the bottom as far as that (laughs) stuff goes they just never have really cared about that stuff the off the field they're taking a a much more aggressive approach towards that to try to try to be a little bit more like a lot of the rest of the teams in the league are there's no doubt and in free agency i think zach taylor has certainly modernized their approach i mean we've never seen anything like what they've done the last two years which is just spend 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 uh to try to recreate their roster i mean there was no bobby hart this year there was no bobby hart extension this this offseason thank goodness goodness. i mean no i think but i think you saw you know they're they're willing when the when the table is set for your roster to do that they're willing to go spend that way i think they're still gonna be that you know pittsburgh model draft develop retain is still the ideal but uh, you know they're they're willing to go do it and i think i think the tide is turning for them in that way they're always going to be who they are even even with you know uh troy and katie blackburn um who are, are you know mike's they're kind of the, really the ones running the show right now um the everyday operation they, there's a little bit of a change but you're still always going to have that mom and pop feel to them because it's who they are and they don't want to divert from who they are um they may they're willing to be do what the rest of the league is doing but they also sort of embrace the nature of the fact that they are 31 to 1 sometimes and they're comfortable with that 
And speaking of all the homegrown ideas and trying to build that way, you know, on defense, it's not that way. We know that they've had to supplement in free agency because they've missed in the draft pretty often on offense. You have a lot of homegrown pieces, especially in the skill position rooms. I'm wondering the way that that's shaken out so far with the way that Chase has played with the way that Mixon has been a part of this. Have those roles kind of shaken out how you expected them to? Or has Chase's profile been a little bit higher? I'm just curious how those spots look compared to how you might have thought heading into the year. Even before the whole Chase drops, you know, white stripe ball preseason stuff, I didn't think Chase would be this guy this soon. And, and, I mean, for any receiver to come in and instantly change the entire dynamic of your offense upon his arrival, and he hasn't played in a year, and, you know, he's opt-out, is is remarkable. And it, it has changed the – Absolutely the entire dynamic. I mean, you know, teams are just, they can't single, they can't leave single on this guy. He just got in the league because he's just burning them over the top over and over again, and Burrow's dropping it right where he needs to. They have that instant chemistry that you hope to. I, that was something I thought that you would hope to see by by midseason at best. And for it to be basically week one, first half of week one against Minnesota, I mean, that's a, it's a huge deal. I mean, that, that to me has been the biggest thing that has changed the dynamic of everything. And we haven't even seen T. Higgins in the mix with them. He's missed the last two games because of injury. And I really thought he was going to be the breakout guy this year that everyone would talk about as a real number one. And the fact that you already have Chase establishing himself as that um, – May I, you know, they uh, it's everything you want it to be. All these guys are under contract, they're all going to grow together. Uh, even Jonah Williams thrown in there as a left tackle, who, you he's know, he's playing very like well, with, right? Absolutely. You all the core, all your most important spots you have young, under contract, growing together. I think that was always the idea behind it. And you're starting to see, you know, the first rotations of it starting to, to, to feed on itself. One of the things that has jumped out about Chase, I think there's still a ways to go, which is the way he works intermediate areas of the field. I mean, you watch when guys really stun him at the line of scrimmage, he can get thrown off right now. But when he's working down the field, his ability to change speeds and accelerate is truly impressive. And it leaves a lot of guys just kind of with their heads spinning on the outside. When he throttles down and kicks back up, it's really hard to deal with him outside of the numbers. And that's what he's done. And I think that's been a really important aspect of the offense that they were missing last year, right? Like they just didn't have that guy because AJ green was not himself. No. And so you, it, and that wasn't his role in that offense. But I mean, the thing is, I mean, you, you watch he, the deep ball. He catches right before halftime against Pittsburgh. Minka Fitzpatrick is already waving it incomplete and the DB quits. The DB just stops because it looks like it's going to fall and he hits this extra gear and grabs yep. it. And you just say, Whoa, I mean, that's, Special. That's no one expects that to be what's happening. And you're right. Joe Burrow last year, deep balls. Um, they had he had one for a touchdown over 20 plus air yards, and obviously he's now had three to Jamar Chase alone this season. And other balls, he had the, the one that really kickstarted them against Jacksonville was the same thing. That what didn't go for a touchdown, but it was again a, a long you know 35 yard ball to Jamar Chase on the sideline. It's it opens everything up because all the rest of the pieces make sense then. Because T. Like Higgins 100%. intermediate, T. Higgins intermediate is who you want. Tyler Boyd's one of the best underneath slot receivers who is thriving and empty for them, by the way. And, and then everything makes sense. You have the deep threat. You have T. Higgins do it all in the middle. You have Tyler Boyd working the slot, and then all the pieces make sense. They just they were missing the over the top element this year, and now that you have it, you see it start to open up for everybody else. And now defensive coordinators are going to have to start adjusting to that, and then you'll start to see every piece take their week. Where they, where they break out. 
it all falls into place. Uh, you're 100% right, which is cool to see. I love when that happens. Like, all right, this piece fits here, this piece fits here, and that's how it all comes together. Teams are going to have to start learning that if you give that guy a free release, you're going to be in trouble <laughs> because he is just running by people. And, and that is very impressive to watch this early on. And, uh, you know, Packers have some quarterback issues heading into this game. So Corner might, or quarter? Uh, corner. <laughs> they had quarterback <laughs> issues, and yes. now they have cornerback issues. Cornerback yeah. issues. Yeah, so that could be um, an interesting matchup to watch this week. I'm definitely interested um, in that game, and I, like I mentioned earlier, I was, I was not before. But do you have any predictions for this weekend? I mean, is this a week that we're going to learn our, the, if this team is for real or not and kind of maybe where they actually fit in terms of the AFC North? Yeah, I mean, it's the real barometer game for them as much as we wanted to talk about Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh's so bad right now that it's hard to really judge them off that. I think it, I, I think this is to get – I think we'll learn how far away they actually are. I mean, later in the season, they need to be at the point where they can beat these teams. I don't think they're there yet. But for right now, I think we'll learn how far away they are. If they're in competitive, if it comes down to the end and maybe Rodgers beats them on a final drive, I think you're thrilled. I think you're thrilled for the Bengals. <laughs> and you're like, you know what? We'll be there and we'll be there in six weeks. We'll be there in eight weeks. We'll be able to beat these types of teams if that's where we're at. But you don't know if that's where they're at right now. And and I think that's what we'll find out. I, I think they'll fall short. I think they'll keep it with, you know, about a touchdown short, but I think they'll be in it to the end and and, and prove that they're they're closer than a lot of people maybe think. Awesome. Paul, it's always so great to chat with you, man. I really appreciate the time. Thank you for taking it out. I'm sure we'll catch up soon. Absolutely. Talk to you later. All right, guys, that's all we got for today. Thank you so much to Lindsay and Paul. Really enjoyed that show. We will be back tomorrow with me and Nate doing our Friday Five preview. A lot of good stuff that we're going to dig into. We're going to talk about the Browns defense. We're going to talk about the Bills. We're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. We're also going to dig into Daniel Jones and how he's been playing over the last couple weeks, which is not something I thought I'd be doing heading into week five. But the NFL season sneaks up on you. Really appreciate you guys listening. Please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I very much appreciate that. Please subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show. I'm telling you, if you guys do not have one, you desperately need one. We'll be back tomorrow. Appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.